Hey guys, you're listening to the Tasha Labs podcast, and as I mentioned last time, today I want to do a Q and A about some questions I received about the topic that we covered last time, which is how to be in sync with market cycles or the market rhythm. Okay, so I got some interesting questions, and I will be covering several of them, uh, including um, one question about how do you balance like being a contrarian versus going going with the market flow. Okay. Um, secondly, there's a question about how can you also use some of the like market cycle indicators to apply to individual stock or ticker or token. And thirdly, there's a question about um, is it a good idea to build models to automate some of the like these uh, market cycle judgments. And lastly, um, I want to cover a question someone asked about longer term crypto cycles and how I think about like long-term investing <laughs> uh, for crypto, for like a Bitcoin, Ethereum, that kind of thing. Okay, so those are basically the things I'm going to go through today. And first question, uh, it says, you would advise to go with the market trend, but the best investors are contrarians. Really? <laughs> like Warren Buffett said that when everyone else is losing their head, you should keep yours. How do you balance between being a contrarian and go go going with the market trend. So, <laughs> so first of all, I, I don't even know what a contrarian means unless you give me a very specific definition of what this person do. What does the what does this person do in situation A and and what does he do in situation B and that kind of thing? Like very like uh um quantifiable action. <laughs> Otherwise I, I just don't know what this was with this what this means, you you can, you know, people can post on Twitter all day long, oh, market's too high, um, market's going to correct, or we're at the bottom. Uh, people can spit out opinions all day long, but unless they have an action plan attached to that opinion, then I I don't know what it means when you say someone is a contrarian. And is he always a contrarian or just uh, at some step of the market cycle? that he becomes a quote unquote contrarian, because I can tell you if you, um, for any type of investors, right? No matter what your strategy or framework is, at some point, if you're doing your job about your market cycle analysis, you will realize, okay, maybe this is the point and market will start to turn. And when, with, like, uh, because you start to see some sign of uh, like market cycle turning, but maybe the majority of the, um, trend, if you look at the price action, is still going the in the way of the previous trend. Do you call that a contrarian? But you don't make that decision. You don't you don't do that kind of judge do that kind of judgment call every day, right? That's actually a relatively rare event. So, and also that that's one. It's like uh, there is no saying like uh, a um, you are a contrarian and once and for all you are always a contrarian. Maybe there is a point based on your um, based on your market cycle judgment and your framework, your assessment is that at current level, maybe this price is going to correct or the opposite and the price is going to bounce. And you have a strategy attached to it and that that is different, depends on what kind of investor you are, depends on your framework, right? So like, for example, if you see like the COVID-19, like in March, 2020 market, was in free fall, right? So some people were shorting the hell out of it, of the market, but at some point, maybe your market indicator says, 
um, well, the market is oversold. We're gonna be ready for a bounce, guys. So we are. Um, so so then our execution plan is to not initiate any short positions anymore, and get ready to cover our existing positions um, if we see um, signs A, B, and C. Okay, so that that is a very specific action plan according to a very specific market judgment in terms of where we are at the cycle. Um, do you call that contrarian? Uh, because maybe, because the market may be still falling, but you see some sign of market turning, right? But um, as opposed to maybe another type of investor uh, who's more like a hardcore value investor would say, we'll have the same judgment about the market. We'll say, okay, um, we 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 think market is oversold here. Um, it's it's overreacting and it's overreacted too much. And now it's a good opportunity to start looking for drastically undervalued assets to get them at a cheap price. And and then that will be your action plan. And you start looking for that type of, th that type of things. But that will be a very different action plan compared to the first type of investor, even though you have broadly the same assessment about the market, right? So. Um, which one do you call contrarian? <laughs> so I just don't find these uh, like a very broad adages um, and general advice is helpful unless you put them in a specific context and, and because they're just not specific enough. Okay. So um, it's just like uh, to me, like they're, they're just like, if you are like always contrarian, you are out of your mind because what does that mean? If you're if if being a contrarian meaning like you are always going against the market you are definitely insane because um for example in the past uh, like S&P has existed for how uh, almost 100 years right so in like 90 something years of its existence 70s to 70% of the time the S&P index ends up green on the year for like 5% and above okay so that means if you are like uh, being a quote unquote contrarian going against the market 75 75% of the time you're losing. <laughs> right. So um there's no such thing you said like uh best investors are contrarian. I don't think so. Best investors have framework. <laughs> okay. They go go they go with their framework. Now um if you have a market judgment um in terms of okay the market is oversold or you know it's like your judgment is it's likely to bounce um, and your action is uh, okay. Cover the shorts or to um, look for undervalued opportunities. Um, those are very specific. Again, those 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 are something that you can make a assessment on because those are very specific action plans. Now, maybe you're wondering, can you do both? Can you like cover your short, like short the way down when the market's going down, and then cover it and start looking for undervalued investment opportunities on the way up? Of course, the theoretically, you can totally do that. But then, you know, theoretically, you can be a brain surgeon, a heart surgeon, a family doctor, and a gynecologist all at once, right? But <laughs> the thing is, um, any type of uh, investment framework, you will need to really, you know, dig into it to get good, right? Otherwise, if it's so easy, then everybody will be able to beat the market. Market, But the, the truth is, very few people beat the market, right? So... Um, if you're going into the field of brain surgery, you likely you have a general knowledge, uh, above average knowledge, 
uh, knowledge about medicine in general, but you really have to dig deep into how to do brain surgery, right? So that's your, if that's your chosen field. And the same thing with, with investment is you, I think you've got to figure out who you are, right? Are you the type of person who's really into like shorting the top or shorting the weakness? Or are you really into finding the bargains in the market? What your personality and fundamental worldview is, um, if you get a good grasp of that and align your strategy with that, I think you have a better result comparing to uh, just trying to um, implement every possible strategy under the sun, right? So that's that. So like, for example, like I personally, I told you last time, like I like to buy strength. I don't like to buy weakness, right? Because that's my personality. I'm an optimistic person. I think the future is better than today. Um, I have a positive outlook about the world and <laughs> the economy. So it's like, uh, it's it's uncomfortable for me to, um, it's just like goes against my nature, goes against my instinct to go for, to look for like undervalued, like really, really, really beaten down opportunities um, or going like, uh, going like a massively going out of my way to short a market when it's in a bubble. Can you make money that way? Yes. Is that something that, according to me, that I do very, very well? I I don't think so because that's not my instinctual way to look at the world, right? Versus someone like, um, I don't know, uh, Michael Burry, for example, that guy that made for famous by this movie Big Short, right? So because <laughs> because he made one call about the uh 2008 crisis now now like uh people takes him very seriously but the thing is th the guy obviously is just like he he really enjoys being a perennial contrarian right he 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 enjoys like seeing the gloom and doom about the world and he enjoys being like different for his own sake if that's your personality, then you go for that type of strategy, right? But that type of strategy, does he make money like majority of the time? No, because like I said, 70% of the time, market's gone way up, right? So, um, but if you, if he, he can make like 10 bear calls, but maybe like one or two hit the center. That is like once in a decade thing and he can still make money, right? So there are all sorts of ways to make money, Uh even even though the rest of the time he's he's wrong and he doesn't know what he's talking about, but still, um, my point is you you gotta find your personality and what works for you. And above all else, you you should have a framework, right? So based on what you think, you will excel. Um, instead of listening to these, you know, sayings like general advices from famous investors. Uh, second question, some of the indicators you suggested in your last video equally apply to individual stocks and not just market indices. Can you just decide on buy and sell points uh, for stocks or crypto tokens uh, rather than applying it to market cycle analysis? Wouldn't that be more straightforward? Yeah, I mean, some of the like, technical indicators, like, uh, uh, like for example, some like overbought, oversold indicators, so things like moving averages, so you can apply to individual stocks too, right? And people do do that, but I don't think that is a substitute to um, having a grasp 
on where we are in the market cycle. And also there, there, there's a difference here, okay? Um, when you apply those indicators to individual tickers, um, and and I think this is this is a significant caveat, because the market is way more in it is way more stable most of the time in a like a stable regime in terms of how it behaves compared to individual stocks. Unless you're talking because you know the the individual components of like a S and P five hundred or a Nasdaq may change from day to day. But the index has been, it's always there, right? It's been around for so long and it continued to behave in a, not in a like a totally predictable way because otherwise everybody will get rich. But <laughs> but you it's it has it has irregularity, right? It has some some uh some it has certain patterns that you can discern um to a certain extent versus individual stocks, unless you're talking about like a really um, like a large cap stocks, like never move. <laughs> Unless you're talking about things like a Caterpillar, I don't know, like a Johnson and Johnson or, uh, like one of those large cap stocks that basically just never does anything because the company has been there forever and they have very set business model. Nothing goes very right or very wrong very much most of the time. Uh, in other words, that has that stock has a very predictable personality. Otherwise, if you're talking about like uh, stocks that you would actually interest, uh, that will actually interest a like a growth investor, right? Like me, if I'm interested in a certain stock or or a token, it's because I see a growth opportunity. That totally that that by definition implies that. At some point in this ticker's lifetime, there will be some kind of regime change, right? So maybe it was dormant, dormant, dormant because the growth was not taking off, and then some, at some point it crossed some a Rubicon of uh, like baseline growth threshold and just started taking off. You saw that, like uh, for example, in um, actually, if you look back the history of all like uh, major like tech stocks, like household names, now you look at Amazon, Facebook, Tesla, all these stocks. You go back like uh, to the original days when you know these stocks just IPO'd and how 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 it went along after after that. You you will realize at some point that stock just you know took off, but before that, it didn't do much of anything, right? So if you use the same type of framework and indicators that you use to analyze a stock before, like in this pre, uh, pre taking off life, <laughs> I don't know what do you, what do you call that? It's not gonna apply very well to, to to the stage of the life cycle when when the stock has has taken off, right? So my point is, if you look at individual stocks, I don't think you want to apply the same indicator, use them in the same way as you would uh, um, applying a market psychoanalysis framework because individual stocks have different, like uh, have way more volatile life cycles, at least those ones that are worth invest worth investing in, okay? So, but can you use those indicators if that's your framework, if that's part of your framework? Yeah, sure. Um, but that's just a caveat I I, I want to point out, and um, and and also I don't think that is a substitute for <laughs> having a framework, um, at least a simple one about to to help you assess where we are in the market cycle, 
And but, but the thing is, once you have that assessment, you want to have an action plan, right? You cannot just say, oh, I think market is topping here. Um, we'll see. And then just sit there and do nothing. Of course, you can do that, but that is also a choice, right? But you, you should have a very specific assessment um, that is linked to your um, framework of investing in specific tickers. Like, for example, if you're doing like a medium term um, investment, you may look at um, if you're like investing in some growth stocks, you may look at the NASDAQ, you say, okay, right now I think we are top, we we are like short-term topping. Um, we are, um, you know, I, I see the 10-day moving average has crossed over to the downside of 20-day. And that means in my framework, that means I should stop initiating new long positions. And if I see another um bearish indicator for the market, I will start like uh, getting out of my existing positions. So that type of thing, like basically some, some, some type of very specific linkage in action plan to associate your assessment about the market with your, with the like uh, entry and exit decisions um, associated with specific tokens that you own. Right. So, okay. So that's that. Um, Next question, is it a good idea to build a model with market cycle indicators and make predictions automatically instead of manually? I mean, <laughs> what do you think people on Wall Street, Wall Street analysts do all day long? That's what they do. It's like building all sorts of models, right? For for both for the market in general and for individual um individual tickers that, that they're interested in. Um so People, there are armies of people do this as their sole job all day long is to build models. So yeah, of course <laughs> you can build models. Um, however, <laughs> I think I think this is something that you need to keep in mind, okay? Um, so if you look at what, what do mo models do? Now, <laughs> If you there, there are different types of models, right? There, there are all sorts of um, approaches to 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 build a to build a model that can take a bunch of inputs and tell you, okay, um, according to the model's opinion, are we going up or are we going down or sideways? Okay, so but um, there are a lot of different kinds of things that you can do. Um, I would say, in my experience. Um, if you're doing something that is very simplistic, like uh, like uh, assuming some kind of linear relationship among your variables, like for example, if you just feed those uh, overbought, oversold indicators into a linear regression and try to use that to tell you what the market would do, um, I think that that type of thing you can save your time, okay? I think it's just it's just too simplistic. Um, you might as well just eyeballing a chart. <laughs> okay. Um, there are like if you do like more complicated models, like if you want to do some kind of deep learning neural network type of thing that take into account some nonlinear relationships upon variables, 
um, that may help. That may be more helpful. Okay. Uh, that may be better at recognizing patterns that your eyes do not recognize, because essentially all of those models do is just pattern recognition, right? And you yourself, you have a neural network and a great one in your brain already that can also do pattern recognition, but it's just the like the the form of input that you your brain takes versus the form of input that a neural um, a deep learning model a computer model takes is different. And the way um, the model on the computer process that pattern versus the way your brain process the pattern is different. Your brain may be more visual. So that's why, you know, people all want to look at charts because that's a visual pattern, very straightforward for your brain to process while computers have a harder time. But if you feed computers a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, sequences of numbers and, or arrays and uh, matrices uh, uh, that it has an easier time because that's the way it processes information. So it may, I mean, that that kind of model may help you to detect some some patterns that your eyes with a very with a visual um, information processing modality may not detect and that may give you some fresh information okay so um i think those type of model worth a try um have i tried them yes <laughs> that's what i'm telling you okay um so um but the thing is i think there there here's the limitation okay um i think one big limitation is how do you feed that information that you have into a computer model um, when the information is cannot be expressed in a super quantitative way? Okay. So because uh, like last time or a couple episodes ago, I used the analogy of, you know, how do you tell it's spring? When you stand outside, you can immediately tell spring has come, right? So, but that's a lot of nonlinear information processing, and those information may not be entirely quantitative, right? So how do you feed all that information that you know to a computer? And some keep in mind, if you do this long enough, a lot of times that information processing becomes a very subconscious process. You don't even know what information you're taking in, right? So, but you need to feed that to the to the computer, right? So, so, so like a good, like a good investors, if they have been doing these kind of thing for a very long time, like discretionary investors, right? They can look at like a NASDAQ chart and they may have a judgment in terms of, okay, I think we're going to have a cor correction. I think the correction will be uh, X percentage point. And you ask them why <laughs> they give you like a few reasons, but then you, <sighs> Sometimes like those reasons are not the whole story. The, the, what they tell you is the, is the part that their conscious mind can pick up, right? But a lot of the processing already goes subconscious once you do this um, for repeatedly for a, lot of, for a long time. So it's only those conscious part of information that you are aware enough to feed it to your computer model, right? So <laughs> what about the parts that you are not even aware? 
consciously aware. So, and also what about the parts that are not um, quantifiable? For example, um, if we look at the NASDAQ, okay. So you may look at some quantitative technical indicator to say, okay, we can have a correction, right? So maybe we've seen a top for this summer, but how big the correction is gonna be? You may have a qualitative judgment. You may you may say, well, I think this correction is gonna be bigger than average because you see we've we've been in um this the market like uh we we've had like uh um once in a decade bear market last year, but it really hasn't gone down that much. Even though the uh, monetary tightening tightening has been pretty hist- uh, like uh, at a historical level, right, has been pretty drastic. And then this year, you you have the market like went up seven months straight. It's not entirely straight, but there's like uh, the correction was very light. And also like at this point, given that you know uh, the monetary environment is not really improving if anything you probably expect that you know the interest rates to stay elevated for a longer term and then um interest rates are also being pushed up because the u.s government is the fiscal policy is very expansionary right now so they have to borrow more money that pushes up interest rate and so you look at things but on the other hand yeah they support economy in the short term but you look at this thing, maybe your judgment is like at a qualitative level, you know, there's no like a macro environment is not being is not becoming more market friendly. And the AI frenzy we've had for a few months is kind of uh, running out of steam. Um, you can see that like uh, as you can see as a re- reaction to the NVIDIA earning this past week, that reaction was very telling right so in nvidia posted this like really superb earning and then market sold off uh market was like it got it got excited for two minutes and then sold off so give you some signs about like the environment we're in you so you may say okay combining all these information together my judgment is we're gonna have a sizable correction um how do you feed all that in a quantitative way to a computer model, that's something you need to think about, right? So um, I'm not saying it's not doable. Of course, you if you dig into it, think hard enough, there's always a way. But I'm, but that that's just something I think you should be mindful if that's the route you want to go down, right? But in any case, I don't think any. I think like models would be helpful. Yes, it's a helpful thing if you. If you actually um, serious about it, but then is is a complete substitution of your discretionary judgment? I don't think so, because again, you have a superb neural network in your brain already. Why not use it? <laughs> this is not the kind of thing you want to outsource to your virtual assistant in India or outsource to ChatGPT, right? So because it's quite essential to your investing process, and also it's a skill that you actually want to build because that will eventually become part of your edge, right? That other people with similar computer models don't have. Um, is that like, uh, is that discretionary judgment that using the neural network in your head, <laughs> which only you own, right? You have the sample data, you have fine tuned the model over time. And that is 
entirely proprietary software. <laughs> okay, so um, why not? Why not build that? Why not build that skill? So um, so yeah, so that's that's that. Um, okay, software model question out of the way. Um, next question. Um, what's your outlook for longer term crypto cycles for long term investors and not just for the traders? Is Bitcoin having enough impetus for another bull run or was that a low interest rate phenomenon? What's your updated thoughts on Ethereum? Um, okay, so longer term crypto cycles. Is Bitcoin having enough? <laughs> so like uh, last time, like we talked, last time we talked about like supply and demand curve in the market, right? So if you want price to go up, supply goes, either it's because supply goes down or demand goes up or it's both, right? But um, one does not exclude the other, right? You can have both happening. And then, but but as as a rule of thumb, like I, I also, also mentioned this last time, I think it, it generally it's the demand factor, demand going up. That's the factor that would drive a explode more explosive move up. Okay, um, the supply factor tend to be a slow burn. Um, you know, you don't you don't see it. Uh, you it's a it's a slower, more gradual process. Um, it's price on 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 it, its effect on price. So. That will be my rule of thumb. Okay, so then pertaining to these halving cycle per se, that is a supply side factor, right? So supply, if if there is a negative supply shock of this asset, you suddenly um, there is much less supply compared to before. Given that the demand condition is the same as before, would that have a positive impact on price? Yes, just mechanically, right? Over time, but again, that is a slow burn factor so but for that kind of explosive um explosive bull run to happen um that as we've seen in 2020 and 2021 was that entirely because of bitcoin half halving definitely not the bit why like to me that's definitely definitely not a supply driven phenomenon at least uh for the majority part, I think it's a demand-driven phenomenon, right? Because you have a COVID government check, like giving people a lot of free cash that they have to invest in something. And then you have people staying at home and, you know, trying to do in investing. <laughs> and then you have um, uh, also the the very, very loose monetary environment. You have low interest rates, very easy to borrow money and, you know, you you can you can you can do the carry trade right very easily. You can uh, borrow money at low interest rate and invest in in riskier asset, and legions of people do that. So all these factors together is a very dramatic dramatic demand push. Um, that 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 caused a, a very dramatic cycle bull run up. Um, for all sorts of risk assets, not just cryptos, right? So, um, so to answer your question, is Bitcoin, Bitcoin having a factor? Yes, I think so. And do I think that will continue to be a factor? Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, leading to cycles. But then, for the really explosive cycle, you really need a demand factor. 
uh, then you've got to think about where does that demand factor going to come from, right? So are we going to see the same? Uh, the 2020, 2021 is really like all the stars aligned in terms of uh, everything was supporting demand for risk assets, right? So are you going to have, are we going to have a, another similar, all the stars aligning scenario? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, I think that's pretty rare phenomena. So if we just go with the baseline case, let's say that part doesn't happen in the near future. Um, you never say never, right? Anything can happen tomorrow. But just like if 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 I'm thinking about my baseline, I don't expect that that to happen again in the short term. Which means yes, you will have the supply side factor, but the demand factor will be weak, weaker compared to the last bull run that you see. So then the natural condition, natural conclusion is what? Yes, you have an up cycle for crypto, but it will be smaller compared to the previous, the last bull run. So I'm just telling you, given, the, given these are the baseline assumptions, what kind of conclusion that you will reach seems like very straightforward conclusion, right? It's not, it's not, I'm not like a pulling a rabbit out of a hat and telling you something that you don't already know. <laughs> so, um, so where does that demand factor will come from? I mean, that Bitcoin halving thing itself, it's become such a meme, right? So you see, like, there are people talking all day on, like, uh, Reddit, Twitter, and whatnot, uh, telling people, oh, the halving is a thing. It's going to be the next bull cycle driver. Like, people believe that, right? So that in itself is a demand driver, right? It's it's <laughs> It's a demand... It's a demand created from the from a meme that's created by the supply factor. So um, then people will be positioned will be positioning accordingly, right? So as long as you have sufficient number of people buys into that story, you will have there will be a demand push, and that demand push maybe it will trigger another reflexive cycle up right so but we but we won't have the free cash like an airdrop by government we won't have like super loose monetary conditions for a while so those are the, the things that go that goes against the explosive bull move okay so <laughs> so that's that's my that's my view on on the bitcoin having um I think it's it, it, bottom line is I think the bull run is you got to both both side both the demand side and supply side participating okay? uh like contributing. Uh what's your update your thoughts on Ethereum long term investing? <sighs> so again like when people asking questions like you use like a really loose and vague terms like long term investing I don't even know what that means. How long is your long term? <laughs> like for if you're a short-term trader then holding a position for a week that is long-term investing okay so <laughs> if you're if you are um if if if, if you're like a um billionaire 
and you kind of you cannot get in and out of position very easily. Maybe like holding an asset for ten years or twenty years is long term investing. So you, <laughs> I, I again like same thing with like a framework, um, and your like a strategy specific action steps attached to a framework. I think we need to define these things more specifically in order to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Okay. Otherwise it's just not, not very helpful. So, so since we don't know who the hell, like we don't know whatever that means, what, what whatever long-term investing means, I'm going to make some assumptions here. Okay. Let's say, Let's say you want to invest. Let's say let's say you want to hold a position for the next uh I don't know, five to ten years. And you don't want to look at it every day. Okay. Maybe you want you can look at maybe you are willing to look at it like once a month, that kind of thing. So if that's our definition of long-term investing, then <laughs> Is is Ethereum a good candidate or is any other crypto tokens a good candidate? Uh well, how about we do this? <laughs> instead of uh instead of give give a yes or no answer, instead of we just like uh, rehash a bunch of recycle a bunch of crypto narratives, we look at this, we can look at this thing from ground up, okay? So let's let's construct this long-term investing decision from 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 scratch. How about that? Uh, just like forget forget everything you know about crypto <laughs> or Ethereum uh, for 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 now. But um, but the thing is, I, I think I I talked about this before. I I, I think that like this time horizon, with, we're, if we're talking about five to ten years as the definition of long term. This type of investing to me is way more risky, like way riskier compared to a short-term investing counted in days, weeks, and months. Why? Because I, I know it feels the opposite, right? <laughs> it feels the opposite. It feels like short-term is riskier because things move like a things are volatile in the short-term. But the thing is, why why I think it's more it's riskier. It's it's a opportunity cost of risk. Okay, it's like uh, I I mentioned this before. You you if you are doing short term investing, you have a very short feedback loop. You can learn from your mistakes very quickly, and you can know your strength and weakness very quickly if you're paying attention, right? Because you have if your if your investment time horizon is counted by weeks. And then you have very, very good idea about how, how you did in the past two, three weeks, right? That give you feedback immediately and then you can adjust accordingly. Versus if you're making one invested investment decision every five years, you, you don't know how much you suck until like five years later. Okay. So how many five years do you have in your life? If so, so the long term and short term will be equally, uh, will not will not have a difference in risk profile if your life is infinite, right? But if your life is finite, you know how many how many feedback loop can you go through? How many adjustment 
um, in revision to your strategy? Can you go through if your time horizon is five years or 10 years? So uh, by the time that five years passed and then you realize, oh, I picked the wrong horse, um, there, 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 there are much better horses out there. Um, you already lost five years. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, and also that's, that's why I think, you know, I, I, I told you, I, I, my goal is to live to 120 years old. Uh, to me, that's something, if you're like a serious investors, it's something you, you, you should want to strive for. Because this this is a profession that essentially the longer time horizon you have, the longer time series data samples you have, the more of a edge you have because you have longer time series to, that's your sample data, that's your training data essentially, right? So you have more training data, you have more material, more stuff you can train your neural network with. <laughs> so, um, so but but let's go back to this question. Your your time horizon is five to ten years, and then but then okay. So let's see. Um, because we are so so then then our task is to say okay, if if this is our time horizon, what are we going to invest in? Okay, are we going to invest in Ethereum or some other alternatives options? So let's. Because to do everything, we need we need to have a framework, right? Otherwise, if you don't have a framework, you know most most investors don't outperform the market. If you don't have a framework, you're even even less likely to outperform the market. You might as well buy an index fund. Okay, so um, let's let's apply a framework like a simple framework to this question. So if we are going to pick uh, candidates for five to 10 year time horizon investment. How are we going to do that? Um, we will we, need to set more limitations, right? So if we are comparing things to Ethereum, so Ethereum market cap is like 200 billion right now about, and at one point it was like over $500 billion um, at the top of the last bull cycle. So if we like, a, so let's say we, we want to compare it to like a, compare Ethereum with other things, other risk assets that are sort of in the similar league as Ethereum. So we then that means, let's say we have additional criteria to say we are only to going to look at assets that are um, 200 billion market cap or up to facilitate our comparison, right? Even though in reality, I don't know why you would do that because if you're a growth investor. So so let's define like the only reason that you would pick like something you would set that kind of criteria is if you just want you want some growth but you want to minimize downside risk and your assumption is okay larger cap larger caps have lower downside risk if that's your assumption okay. Um then 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 it's safer quote unquote so, so maybe that's why, maybe that's why we, we, in this particular framework, we, we, we are going to say, okay, we're going to invest something that is, we're going to pick something that's like above $200 billion in market cap. Okay. We don't want to look at the small caps because those are too risky according to our assumption. Um, so then, but we also want to maximize growth. 
if that's what you want. <laughs> I'm making some assumptions here, okay? So then let's say, how are we going to do that? Um, so as I as I talked about in in one of the previous like uh, episodes, like uh, for you to have an investment framework, you need to have some essential things where you you want to have criteria for how you're going to pick the thing that you identify the thing you're investing in, and you want to have criteria for entry and exit, and you want to have criteria for stop loss. So your downside scenario, what what define your downside scenario and how how are you going to do about it in your downside scenario? Okay. So those are basic elements that, that you need to have. So let's go through it. So like first of all, how are we going to identify this um this um um our um our candidate, given that our goal is to seek growth but minimize downside opportunity, uh, minimize downside risk. So then maybe your criteria would be um i'm going to look for um i'm going to look for stocks or tokens or any asset that is the uh category leader that has a large moat in a category meaning a sector or industry that will see the biggest growth opportunity in the next uh 10 20 years or 5 to 10 years whatever your horizon is Okay, so basically, we're going to look for industry leader in top growing industries. Okay, so that's a very simple, straightforward criteria. And uh, we can just like, then we can go down the list of potential candidates we have and see if they, f if they fit that criteria. Okay, um, let's, let's, let's look at, because this is like, if we, if, if our, um, if our base, baseline like uh, limitation is we can only look at 200 billion or up uh, kind of market cap asset. It's really a very limited list. And in the world, there is right now, I'm looking at this list of large cap companies. There are like about 50 of them fit that criteria. Okay. Aside from these like a Bitcoin, Ethereum type of thing. So we can go down the list and see if each of them meet our criteria. Number one, market cap, Apple. Is it a market leader in its industry? Yes. Is it in a top growing industry? No. Because smartphone, computer hardware, is, is that a top growing industry of the next 10, 20 years? I don't think so, okay? So Apple out. Uh, next, Microsoft, is it an industry leader? Yes. Is it in... Um, Top growing um, industry segment? No, mostly no. Well, you can say, uh, well, Microsoft is getting into AI kind of stuff, but Microsoft or, Microsoft is way bigger than AI, right? So I would say this is a soft no, okay? Saudi Aramco, which is oil and gas, that's immediately out, right? Because oil and gas is not a top growing in industry and sector anymore. Next, Google, is it an industry leader? Yes. Is it in the top growing industry? I mean, it's 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 it created its own category, which is the search engine, but is it a top growing category? No. Okay. Um, they might transition to other things. Uh they are always looking for other opportunities, but they are not leader in those. Okay. Um, so to me, that's a no. By the way, you don't have to agree with me, obviously. That's like I'm showing you how I would think about this. You don't have to agree with my judgment. Maybe you think Microsoft is in the top growing industry. I don't know. 
Um, next, Amazon, is it industry leader? Yes. Is it in a top growing industry? No. Um, so <laughs> already we eliminated five. Okay. Uh, NVIDIA, is it is it an industry leader? Yes. Is it in a top growing industry? I think so. Yes. That's because that's AI. Can it grow? Would it be a top growing industry for the next 10, 20 year, years? Yes, I think so. So in, NVIDIA is a candidate we're, we're going to keep. Okay. Berkshire Hathaway, is it industry leader? Yes. Is it top growing industry? No. Um, out. So Tesla, <laughs> Tesla, is it industry leader? Yes. Is it in top growing industry? Yeah. Re renewable energy, EV, uh, uh, you know, kind of climate transition related to industries. Will they be a top growing sector for the next 10, 20 years as the planet Earth is go through is going through a climate transition? Yes. <laughs> so Tesla is a candidate. Okay. Uh, Meta is it an industry leader? Yes. Is it top growing industry? No. Eli Lilly. <laughs> Eli Lilly, is it an industry leader? Yes. Is it in a top growing industry? I would say, to me, I would say yes, because it's in an industry which is like weight loss, um, diabetes uh, cure. That is a category that is definitely going to be fast growing. Like half of the Americans can use their drug. Okay. <laughs> so to me, that is a yes. Um, 80% yes. Okay. So basically we go through these top 10 market cap already. You can go through the, the rest. You can go to like top, go through these rest of companies and you can make, make your judgment. But I can tell you as I, as far as I can see, most of these companies like above 200 billion market cap are not going to be investable according to our specific criteria. Okay. Which is like two, two criteria for picking the candidates are not going to be investable for because they they don't fit both so but anyway from the top 10 we now have what nvidia tesla and eli Lilly. um okay so please don't like don't post in comments like you can say like okay nvidia is like pulling forward their earnings it's not going to grow very fast and the next year or next five years, the Tesla has so many competitors and their margins declining. Da 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 da. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, again, you you don't have to agree with me. If that's your judgment, you feel feel free to apply whatever framework you have. Okay, I'm just telling you. According to these two criteria, these are things I will come up with. It's like from the top ten market cap, I will pick I will pick three: Nvidia, Tesla, Eli Lilly. Okay. So, <laughs> and then. You compare these three. So these are like, uh, <clears throat> uh, the, you compare these with 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 uh something that we were originally interested in was which is Ethereum, which has like a uh, two hundred billion market cap right now, right? So then, um, let's say, uh, our investment. What what's our next element of our framework? We need to look at what's the entry and exit criteria, right? So let's say our entry criteria is uh, buy the dip. <laughs> and then you've got to define what a dip is. What? How do you quantify a dip? Um, then you we can go into that. We, we're not going to right, right now. So, um, And then the exit criteria, you can define it as, okay, since, since our... Um, selection criteria is those two industry leader in a top growing industry. If any of those 
those two is no longer met, then I'm not, I'm out. Okay. So either if this, if this ticker is no longer a um, top industry leader, or this ticker is no in an industry that is no longer a top growing industry, then I'm out. That's my exit criteria. So then similarly, you can define your stop loss. Okay. Can have some criteria for that. So that that's our, that's our framework. So, um, According to this framework, would you would you pick Ethereum? <laughs> uh, that's something to think about. Okay. Um, so again, if you think about our two criteria, top industry leader is, is Ethereum, and top is, is it a top in, industry leader in blockchain, public blockchain, and de de decentralized computing? Yes. Okay. Is it in a top growing industry? Well, that 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 is the part that I'm I'm a little iffy, okay? <laughs> because I, I I think um is 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 the internet of values gonna be top growing? I, I think so. But but the thing is, is is the public blockchains, the current infrastructure as we know it, is it gonna be the it's gonna, is it going to be the infrastructure to support the internet values? That's the part I'm not sure. Okay. So that's why I, I think according to these two criteria, something like Ethereum, it has a little bit different nature of risk compared to the other things that we mentioned, NVIDIA, Tesla, Eli Lilly. Okay. Because all these other three, at least to me, I can see a very straightforward path of how this industry is going to continue growing. And it's going to have a very, very big addressable market. Okay. Which being AI, renewable, um, and, uh, what is that? Like, uh, diabetes, weight loss, uh, whatever, whatever else they're doing. Okay. So these things. That that market that market is top growing market. I I don't think there is any question about it. Okay, um, Ethereum or any other like uh 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 blockchains. That is the part I'm not so sure. I'm not so certain. Okay, so because because the um the internet values a lot of these like tokenization concept like on chain. Um, assets that tokens that are can can interoperable with other, um, uh, with 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 others that have like uh in the same liquidity network, those things you don't have to use you don't have to use a public blockchain to implement right, and uh, so and and also there there are a lot of baggages associated with with the existing public blockchain in infrastructure. There are a lot of um, packages in terms of negative perception um, because there is so much security breach, so much fraud, so much negative stuff <laughs> associated with, with this set of infrastructure. And there's also, you know, regulations going to be catching up, right? And then um, the 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 nation states and uh, other like financial sector players who want to build their own um, tokenization infrastructure as well. So all in all, um, 
do, do is it possible that that blockchain public blockchain will be the will be become the infrastructure of the internet of value yes it's possible do i have the same confidence as i have with the uh, as the level of confidence i have about ai or renewable energy or weight loss <laughs> like diabetes no i don't okay so but for you you may have a different judgment but i'm just saying from this framework that we're just talking about if we are going to if we if you if you're doing some investing whether it's long term and short term you need a framework right so once you have a framework i'm presenting you a example framework and you according to this framework you look at you judge things evaluate things as objectively as possible right um try to be objective so uh, even though none of us can really look at things you can you can argue objective opinion does not exist if it's an opinion it's already subjective so anyway um <laughs> so 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 that's why um i think ethereum has sort of a different risk compared to other like a same same other risk assets at a same market uh, cap level so to speak okay um so that means that means if 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 that's the case, if that's our conclusion, it's like okay, this thing is more is risk here. Okay, then the next question is, uh, that that does not mean that there's something you don't you don't you, you can invest in long term. But then the question is, is the upside gonna be more than compensate for the risk that we 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 just um, talked about, right? At least. Is it going to be the the upside? Is it going to be significantly bigger compared to the other candidates we just mentioned, right? To compensate for our additional risk. So if if we look at Nvidia right now, it's like one point one trillion market cap. Um, can it go to two point two trillion, two point five trillion? Uh, I can I can see that and. I think that it's a greater than 50% probability event. So I can see NVIDIA double, basically. That that is a possible scenario. That's a like a uh, that's a scenario of greater than 50% probability for me. Okay. Um for you it may be different. Okay. So you gotta make your own make make your own judgment based on the information, however you you get the information. Okay. Um, Tesla right now it's like 750 billion market cap. Can it go to? Can it go to the market cap of Apple, which is like 2.7 trillion right now? So that will basically mean the thing need to go like 4x, right? About 4x. Can I see it go 4x? Go to like uh, roughly a thousand dollars, maybe a little bit less than a thousand dollars. Yeah. I think so. To me, that that's also a greater than fifty percent um, probability event. Uh, Eli Lilly right now is like five hundred billion market cap. Can I can I see a double from here? Can it go like uh, a two x? Maybe. Um, <laughs> given time. <laughs> Would not be a straight path because it's it's gone up so much. Um, so, but 
So, but 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 if if that's our baseline, so ba then basically Ethereum need to do, if let's say uh, we're gonna pick between Tesla and Ethereum, and according to our assumptions, Ethereum has a higher risk profile compared to Tesla, then it needs to do more. It needs to give us bigger upside compared to Tesla, right? Can it give us bigger upside? Well. That's, I think that's, that's your judgment. That's the judgment call you need to make. Can it go above 4X? If our baseline for Tesla is 4X, this area need to go like 5, 6, 7X, okay? <laughs> for, for it to be just comparable, comparable to, to our other candidates, okay? To some of our other candidates. So um, now, you so 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 I, I think once my point is once you have a framework we you we no longer have to talk about these things in vacuum or just spit out opinions you can have a roadmap to evaluate things with a certain benchmark or make comparisons right even though these comparisons are also highly subjective because you def there is a judgment involved involved in terms of how high do you think the potential this thing can go, right? But I'm telling you just these, the 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 second criteria risk for Ethereum is bigger to me. It's definitely bigger because you are not sure if the blockchain gonna be the infrastructure layer for the future internet values. And frankly, right now, we are not also not seeing a lot of evidence, right? Because aside from all these DeFi financial engineering stuff um, and stablecoin, which the primary use case is money laundering. <laughs> uh, aside from that, are we seeing substantial real life use cases for the blockchain based financial system? We, at least not yet. Okay. So um, if, if we still don't see it, if, if I still don't see it, uh, at some point in the next quote unquote cycle, then that's going to make me seriously question whether that's going to happen. <laughs> okay. Um, but it could, it could just like, maybe, maybe it just, maybe it need, it takes some like a, um, risk taking, um, appetite to, to pick up in order for people to look at this, to, for, for this system, for this network to get a lot more liquidity in order for it to be become attractive as a base for um for 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 financial products that have that have a real use case okay so maybe maybe we just take maybe it just takes another another bull market maybe it takes several other bull market i don't know but it bottom line is my point is it's it's got a higher risk okay so um, to me personally, that just made me think that if I'm going to do, if I'm going to invest in Ethereum or other kind of blockchain layers, I will rather do it as a cyclical investment rather than this type of buy and hold long-term investment. Okay. But again, that's for me. Everybody's different. <laughs> 
Okay, so um, that's all for today. And uh, again, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcast or Spotify, please leave a rating or a review. I would really appreciate it. And if you are on YouTube, don't forget to like the video and, or post a comment. Uh, you can also subscribe to my free newsletter at tashalabs.com newsletter. And uh, I will talk to you next time.